reading this morning from Isaiah 46, 1 through 13. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together, they cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god, then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, You who are far from righteousness, I will bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Well, good morning. Does everybody remember Jeff Foxworthy? He might be a redneck. If you don't remember, here's just a few to remind you. If you've ever raked leaves in your kitchen, you might be a redneck. If you've ever used a weed eater indoors, you might be a redneck. If you've ever cut your grass and found a car, you might be a redneck. If you have a hefty bag where the window of your car should be, you might be a redneck. If your home has more miles on it than your car does, might be a redneck. If the Salvation Army declines your mattress... If you own a homemade fur coat, you might be a redneck. If your wife's hairdo has ever been ruined by a ceiling fan. If you think taking out the trash means taking your in-laws to a movie. That doesn't apply in my case. Just to... If you've ever been involved in a custody fight over a hunting dog, you might be a redneck. If you ever take your fishing pole into SeaWorld, you might be a redneck. And if you've ever filled your deer tag on a golf course, you might be a redneck. 
What about a millennial? If you don't own shoe shine because you wear flip-flops to work, you might be a millennial. If you take an Uber to your job as a Lyft driver, you might be a millennial. If you don't know what that means, you might be a baby boomer. <laughs> If you've only seen commercials and fast-forward, you might be a millennial. If you've never spelled out an entire word in a text, you might be a millennial. If you refuse to eat at ref restaurants without free Wi-Fi, you might be a millennial. If the iPhone 4S makes you nostalgic, if you learn to ride a bike from YouTube, if you can learn to do anything from YouTube, you might be a millennial. If your best friends are your parents, you might be a millennial. What about an evangelical? Also funny. If you feel guilty for not keeping a quiet time, you might be an evangelical. If you're never sure that your hands... <laughs> It's a lot quieter now, isn't it? <laughs> It's about us, so it's less funny. If you're never sure that your hands are raised high enough in worship, you might be an evangelical. If you have ever prayed for a crush of yours to get saved so you could date him or her without being unequally yoked. If you have strong opinions about when precisely Amy Grant sold out, you might be an evangelical. If you've lost track of the number of times you've rededicated your life to Christ, you might be an evangelical. If the last rock concert you went to included an altar call, you might be an evangelical. I'm going to break the cardinal rule of comedy and explain the joke, right? That's against the rules, but I'm not a comedian, so I can do whatever I want. When these jokes work, they work because we're recognizing a stereotype that's true, right? That shows us something about ourselves. And at the same time that we're saying, yeah, that's funny because it's me, we're also saying, but it's also pretty dumb, right? <laughs> that's what we're going to try and do today, That's one of the things that Isaiah is doing with his audience in the passage uh, that Laura read for us, Isaiah 46. Isaiah is giving the people of Judah a perspective on idols. He's telling the people, look, this idol thing, it's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? Like, they can't even stand up on their own. It's pretty ridiculous that you would worship that thing. There's a better option, he says. Look, Yahweh, the Lord, really is God. He saves you. You have to save the idols, but Yahweh comes down and actually saves you. So we're going to walk through Isaiah 46 today and look at our own idols. And I hope that as we point to the idols around us, we can recognize our own idolatry. That each of us can say, yeah, you know what? I am an idolater. And these are my idols. It's going to be less funny when we do it that way, but be prepared for that. Like the people of Israel, if we will submit our idols to the Lord, he will save us. If we hold on to our idols, then we have to keep saving them. But if we submit them to him, he really does want to save us and make us new. He loves to save people. And he loves to make righteous those who have no righteousness of their own. So that's our job today to recognize our own idolatry and submit those things, our idols, to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we submit to you as the one and only and true God. You are good. You save your people. You carry us. You made us, and you will fulfill your purposes in us. Father, we pray that you would glorify yourself in our study of your word this morning. Would you convict us and help us to recognize our idols? And then give us the courage and the strength to submit those idols to you in such a way 
that you might remake us in righteousness and salvation by the power of your spirit in us. We want to follow you and live lives that look more and more like Jesus. Do your thing in us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start. We're just going to walk through the passage, basically. Start in verses 1 and 2. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things that you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together, they cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Bell and Nebo are the main gods of the Babylonians. And God is saying, look, to Israel, look, the gods of the Babylonians, the people that are about to enslave you and bring you into exile and oppress you, those gods can't even save the Babylonians. So if you think that I have lost to Bel and Nebo when you go into exile, you've got another thing coming. Do not worship those gods. They can't even save the Babylonians. Bel is kind of the head honcho god. Uh, and you see his name show up in some Babylonian names like Belshazzar. Nebo is Bel's son. And you see his name show up in names like Nebuchadnezzar. And Bel and Nebo, they're just idols. But there's an annual festival where the Babylonians bring Nebo up from the town where he stays up to Babylon. And they actually drag him on a cart up to Babylon. And they have this annual festival where they worship both of these gods. And Isaiah here is making fun of that festival. He's saying, look, like they can't even find their own transportation. You have to haul the thing from one town to another and you're going to worship it. It's ridiculous. They bow down, they stoop. And then he, he, in five to seven, he'll, he'll make fun of these idols some more. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, they hire a goldsmith. He makes it into a god. Look, you have to make your idols. How dumb is that? Then worship it? You have to carry it around on your shoulders, as he says in seven. They lift it on their shoulders. They carry it. They have to put it in its place and it stands there. It can't even move on its own. If someone cries out to it in distress, does it save you? No, it just sits there. We make our idols. They don't make us. We set up our idols and then have to keep them from falling over. We save our idols. That's what he's making fun of here. The other thing he's making fun of is when when Babylon then went into exile, defeated by the Persians, they had to carry their idols off. We have to save our idols. They don't save us. When we feel like we have to defend something like that, when we feel angry or defensive about something, It's often an indication that we're worshiping something that doesn't deserve our worship. And one of the things that concerns me is often we feel the same way about God. We have to defend God. In other words, in our hearts, often we treat God as though he's an idol. Rather than the God of the universe who comes down and saves. God doesn't need our defense. He doesn't need saving. He's here to save you and me. Our idols need to be defended. They can't take criticism or insult or anger from us. Yahweh, the true God, needs no defense. He's actually God. He's not a burden. He carries us. He needs no defense. He defends us. So we have to make, carry, 
defend and save our idols. Uh, I want to point out an author to you in a book. You are what you love by Jamie Smith, James K.A. Smith. Um, it's a great title, right? You are what you love. Uh, by the dog, by the way, our dog is named after this author, Jamie Smith. We call him Jamie. Jamie Smith in two of his books. This is the one I recommend to you desiring the kingdom. And then you are what you love talks about the different ways that the tools of the world shape us to love something other than God. They shape us to worship other stuff. And what, and as he says, they shape us to love something other than God and worship it. And then we become like what we worship. That's kind of the thesis of the book. And one of the things he points out, he, he points out several different ways that the world does this to us. He talks about how the academy does this to us. It shapes our loves so that we become more academics rather than Jesus followers. He talks about the military entertainment complex, which is a, a thoughtful one that I don't have time and energy to explain to you this morning. But he spends a lot of time on the mall and how the mall is like a temple that shapes our worship. It demands our worship. It's filled with rituals. You walk in and you kind of smell the smells and hear the sounds of it's pretty soon. It's going to be the sounds of Christmas music and it lulls you in. And then there's priests in, in the different shops that invite our worship. They give us samples, communion samples. And the mall invites us to love ourselves, essentially, and to find freedom and joy in buying things. But lots of our idols have rituals, songs, spaces, flags, banners, colors, sounds that shape our hearts and draw us to them. For me, it's a John Williams soundtrack. Or, you know, when the Star Wars music comes on, it's like, yeah, I'm going to like this. This is going to be good. You know, and you know that feeling of how it moves you and you know you're going to be hooked and drawn into the story. There are lots of different things that do that same thing to us. They draw our hearts and shape us to worship and love the kinds of things that, um, that they want us to worship. They are worship leaders for us, leading us into worship, just like Adrienne and the team led us into worship this morning. But these other things are leading us into worship to worshiping something other than the true God. Adrienne and the team and the choir, of course, leads us into worship of the one true God. They act as priests, Adrienne and the team do, that shape us to love God above anything else. But then there are other priests shaping us to love other things and other gods, idols. Commercials do this. The mall does this. Our national ceremonies do this. The entertainment industry does this. Brands, social media, the mythology of America, the, the mythology of the self-made man, our own reputations, our reputations as seen through our kids. These are all things that we're prepared to worship and there are whole rituals built around this so that we are shaped and our loves and our worship is shaped so that we become something other than what God meant us to be. They're leading us into idol worship. And as Isaiah is telling us here, our idols demand from us and then keep demanding. Think about our phones, right? How much time and energy we have to spend on these things. We have to worry about them and then we have to update them and then we have to insure them and protect them and make sure that they're not, you know, we keep giving and giving and giving to this thing. I'm wondering if it's worth it. These things make us love them 
And then we become what we love in Jamie Smith's phrase. You are what you love. Isaiah and the prophets have made this point throughout scripture. We become like what we worship. If we worship dead, unseeing, unfeeling, unhearing things, we become dead, unseeing, unfeeling, unhearing kinds of people. If we worship God, on the other hand, we become more fully alive, more fully everything that he made us to be. So I have a list, a Jeff Foxworthy style list. They're not really funny, but here are some instances of idol worship where we have taken things that might be good, but we've made them into idols. My hope is, and my prayer is that we all recognize ourselves in the list, at least a few times where we can go, okay, yeah, that's me. Again, the joke is that we get it. These are stereotypes, but yeah, that's me. And then we can take these idols and submit them to Jesus because God loves idol worshipers by his grace. So if you carry around an idol and worship it, you might be an idol worship, an idolater. If you're more loyal to your brand of computer than you are to your brothers and sisters in the Lord, you might be an idolater. If you pick up your phone every morning before you reach for your Bible, you might be an idolater. If you care more about your books and opinions than about the men and women God has set in front of you, you might be an idolater. If you can't wait to binge watch the next season of whatever on Netflix, might be an idolater. If you know more Game of Thrones characters than apostles, you might be an idolater. If you're surprised by the latest Hollywood sex scandals, you might be an idolater. If you're willing to yell at a coach or another kid if they get in your kid's way, you might be an idolater. If you can't stand the idea that your brilliant child might get a B in school, you might be an idolater. If you work to keep your kids from acting out because it might hurt your reputation, you might be an idolater. If you rearrange your Sunday worship schedule to catch a football game, you might be an idolater. If you're more offended by kneeling football players than by the deaths of people made in God's image, like Philando Castile, Freddie Gray, Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, and Eric Garner, you might be an idolater. If you wish that we would sing the national anthem or hang the American flag in a worship service, you might be an idolater. If you're more concerned with President Trump's Twitter feed than with the state of his soul, you might be an idolater. If you're willing to change your theology to accommodate the sinful behavior of a family member, you might be an idolater. If you think you deserve the life you have because you've earned it, you might be an idolater. If you think putting your opinions up on Facebook or Twitter counts as living justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God, you might be an idolater. If you get mad at others' Facebook opinions without seeking a conversation with them, you might be an idolater. If you take every mass shooting as a chance to either defend gun rights or advocate for new gun laws instead of mourning the dead, you might be an idolater. If you're too scared for your own safety and security and the security of a way of life to care for your neighbor who has fled actual war and trauma, you might be an idolater. If you refuse to hear or brother or sister out when they express an opinion because you might have to change your mind, you might be an idolater. If you believe any rumor that makes an opponent look bad, you might be an idolater. If you refuse to believe any story that makes an ally look bad, you might be an idolater. If you have one cable news channel on most of the day, you might be an idolater. 
If you can justify spending money for yourself, but can't find the time or money to serve the poor, you might be an idolater. If you refuse to give financially because, you know, retirement, you might be an idolater. If you spend more time and energy on your boat or car than in service of others, you might be an idolater. If your day revolves around finding ways to end the day with sex, you might be an idolater. If you get angry when your spouse refuses to have sex with you, you might be an idolater. If you can't find a way to give up your pornography addiction, you might be an idolater. If you think you are not good enough to receive the grace of Jesus, then you might be an idolater. If you think you are too good to need the grace of Jesus, you might be an idolater. If you can see everyone else's idols but can't see your own, you might be an idolater. And if you plan to clean up your sins and get rid of your idols before you take them to God, you might be an idolater. And I confess with you that several of these signs of idolatry are mine. I too often reach for my phone before my Bible. I'm tempted to think of political or social opponents as enemies. I get anxious about money and wonder who will provide for me and my family. I often care about more about my kids' success and happiness than their holiness. I fight against anger when I don't get my way. I spend more time thinking about sex than is loving. Jesus, I confess to you that too often I want my own way. And I want to take your place as Lord and fight you because I still have idols. And I confess I want to fight for you in ways that treat you more like an idol than as God of the universe. So here's the reality. We are all idolaters. All of us. We love our idols. And it's hard to give up what we love. And so God gives us a vision of himself in this chapter. He says, give up your idols, but don't just give up your idols. Give up your idols and run to me, he says. I'm way better than any idol you could imagine. He gives us himself. So in the face of idols, let's look at who God is, starting in verses three and four. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. Contrast that with the idols, right? We have to do the making and the saving and the defending. God will carry us. He made us. He defends us. We don't have to do the carrying. He carries us. He does the doing in these verses. God saves his people. He bears his people. He says, in the past, I made you and carried you. In the future, I will still be carrying you and I will save you. In verse 8 through 11, he goes on. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. He, he has nothing but uh, interesting name for the people of Israel. You transgressors. Recall the former things for I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me. He carries us. Remember what happened in the past and remember that into the future. He has saved you before and he has purpose for you and intends to save you in the future. He's made this clear before, but it remains true that he is the only God. We looked at this last week. There is no other God. We can turn to other things, but they only force us to drag them around with us. 
They can't actually save us. God saves us. And then 10 and 11. I declare the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, I was declaring things not yet done, saying, my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I will call a bird of prey from the east. He's foretelling Cyrus again here, just like he did last week. He's foretelling that Babylon's not going to stand. Persia's going to come and wipe out Babylon. The man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. He has declared the future from a long time ago. He has always known the future and he will always make sure that his purposes come to pass. Here's the thing. We are all idolaters, but our idolatry does not ruin the purposes of God. He may have known, like if you and I might be idolaters, then God may have known a long time ago that we would be idolaters. It doesn't like freak him out. Oh no, they're idolaters. What are we going to do? These transgressors, how are we going to save these people? God knew it from the beginning. Our sin has never ruined the purposes of God. He is so much God that he overcomes and redeems us in the middle of sin and idolatry. God does what he means to do. Nothing stops his purpose. Our sin doesn't stop his purposes. The fact that we live in a chaotic world doesn't stop his purposes. A a stock market crash doesn't stop the purposes of God. A poor leader doesn't stop the purposes of God. A great leader doesn't stop. Nothing stops the purposes of God. He will always see his purposes all the way through to the end. And so because of who God is, this chapter about idols ends very hopefully in verses 12 and 13. Again, the names. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. You who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. I love the names transgressors and stubborn hearted already. Just in those verses. This passage reminds me of Romans 5, verses 6 to 11. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Paul tells us that God sent his son to us, not because we had it together. Not because we were on the right path, just couldn't quite work things out. He sent his son to us precisely because we didn't have it together. There was no way for us to save ourselves. There is no way for us on our own to get rid of our idolatry. We can't do it. At that time, God sent his son to die for us. While we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, while we were ungodly, far from righteousness, It's exactly what he's saying here in chapter 46. Look, you're stubborn hearted. You're idolaters. 
You're transgressors. I bring my salvation from outside you. I bring it near to you. You see, if God kept his salvation far from idolaters, if he required us to rid ourselves of idols and match his faithfulness and righteousness, we would never get there. Instead, he brings righteousness to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the righteousness of God, the word of God, God himself in the flesh. He comes near to us. He gives us, he gives up his place at the father's right hand, empties himself and comes down, submits himself even to the point of death on a cross. If not, we have no hope of righteousness, but in Christ, we participate in the righteousness of God. Praise God. In Christ, God is making us new. He is ridding us of our idols and focusing our love on him and him alone. As we submit to this process, as we submit our idols to him, he continues to make us more like Jesus, to make us more righteous, to make us more loving, to make us more fully alive, more fully human, more everything that God made us to be. And he may choose to save us even if we hold on to our idols. That's his prerogative. But we will stunt our growth and fail to become all that he meant us to be. If we submit to him, submit our idols to him, he is more than willing to make us new, willing and capable. God loves idolaters. He loves sinners. He loves transgressors. He loves stubborn-hearted people. He doesn't want us to stay idolaters because he cares more than that for us. But he loves us as we are so much that he brings his righteousness near to us as we are. He says, my salvation will not delay. And he's not waiting for us to clean up our act before he brings salvation to us. Salvation is here available to you and I today if we will accept it and submit to him as our only Lord. He can save us from our idols, from those tyrants that demand our souls. Note on the very last line here of chapter 46. He says, I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. He intends glory for Israel. These people he's just been calling stubborn hearted transgressors far from righteousness. He has glory for them. He intends glory for us. He made you and me to be glorious ambassadors for his kingdom here in the world. We are image bearers of Christ. In reality, we don't see this all the time, but in reality, we're more like the transfigured persons of Moses and Elijah standing on the mountain talking with Jesus. than we are like some like beast of the field. We are glorious figures that bear the image of God to a world that needs him. We don't see that in each other, but if you look around at those around you, these are image bearers of God who have the power of God. You and I, we have the power of God in us to go transform the world. He made us to be kings and queens. In Revelation, he tells us we will rule on his throne with him. That's what he made us for. He has glory for us. Stubborn hearted, transgressor, but glorious. 
Why on earth would we choose idols then? Why would we worship something that we made out of the stuff of creation? We were made to rule creation, not to worship it. We bear the glory of God. We are glorious. Do not submit the glory of God to an idol. And again, he is making us more fully glorious. We will get to see each other as we really are someday. We will be revealed as the children of God and all creation, Paul says in Romans 8, all creation will rejoice at our unveiling. It is coming and we will get to rule with Christ over all that he's made. Today, we work hard to save and defend our idols. While all the time, God has already done the work to save and defend us. Why do we settle for pathetic little lives that the idols call us to? So, you might be an idolater. I know I am. We are caught up giving love and worship to something that doesn't deserve it. Things that we make, that force us to carry them around that require us to do the saving. And in the end, they can't do anything for us. They just ruin us. And all the time, we have a God who made us, who carries us, who saves us. He brought his righteousness near to us in Jesus while we were still idolaters. He is making us new. And he is making us into glorious figures that will rule in the new creation. In Jesus We have life as children of God, life as rulers with Christ, bearers of God's image. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you that you do save. You made us. You made us with purpose, and you're going to see that purpose through. And while we were still idolaters, you came down and brought your righteousness near to us. Salvation is available to us now. We praise you that When you sent Jesus to us, you overcame sin and death and idolatry and you made us into something new. We praise you, Father, that in Christ we have a whole new identity, a whole new self. We don't have to be idolaters, but we can be bearers of your image. We pray that you would remake us by your spirit, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.